Fresh every Tuesday. For MSPs around the world. Around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hello and welcome, my lovely friends, to another fantastic podcast. Here's what we've got coming up for you this week. I'm Chad Lauterbach, founder and CEO of B Structure Technology Group. And from 2007 to date, I grew my MSP from just me in my one bedroom apartment in Los Angeles to 25 people in downtown LA. And you can hear my story on Paul's podcast. And on top of that fascinating interview with Chad later on, we'll also talk about five more mistakes that you're probably making with your website. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Let's kick off this week talking about something called remarketing, also known as retargeting. Now, last week I asked you the question, is Facebook a viable promotional tool for MSPs? And one of the things I didn't talk about last week, because I knew I was going to do it this week, was this thing called remarketing. So what is remarketing? Well, have you ever had that experience where, let's say you want to go and buy something interesting. Let's say it's a Darth Vader helmet. Just go with me on this one. So you've seen this, this amazing replica Darth Vader helmet. It fits over your real head. These kind of products exist, you know. And it's got like the, the special breathing sound box, the I am your father. That, that kind of thing. And uh, I may have one of these in my loft, by the way. Anyway, uh, so let's say you, you go to look at one of these and you find it on a specialist site and you get all excited and you think, I want to be Darth Vader! And you look at it, but then you think, I'm not quite ready to buy it now. It's a couple of hundred pounds, dollars, whatever. So you think, right, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to park that. I'm just going to forget about it and see if I think about it in a few days' time. And so you go off and you do something else. And then later on that day, you are on your favorite news website. And on the right-hand side of the news website, there's an advert for the Darth Vader helmet. And your eye kind of looks over it. And you don't click on it, but you think, oh, that helmet's looking good, man. I want to get that helmet. And then you go off and you go onto another website, completely unrelated. It could be some kind of channel site. And there's that advert again. And it's an advert for the exact product that you were looking at on the site that you were looking at the product on, if that makes sense. And of course, inevitably, there comes a point where you think, right, I give in, this is fate, telling me I should spend the 200 pounds or the 200 dollars on the Darth Vader replica helmet. So you go and buy it, you wear it at home, and your kids think you're cool. Your wife leaves you, but your kids think you're cool. The it's not fate that decided that you needed to get divorced. Uh, it's actually remarketing. So remarketing is where you show adverts to people who have done one thing but not done another thing. So in e-commerce stakes, this is really cool because in fact that exact scenario stands. I go to look at a product, and then when I go and look at, but if I don't buy that product, when I go onto other sites in in Google's sort of display network, I see adverts for that product. And the way it works is there's a bit of code that's within the website which tells either Google or Facebook or whoever you're doing the remarketing ads on. It tells them, please show an advert to this person. So it knows that me, Paul Green, I have been onto this site, I've looked at this product, but I haven't bought it. Because if I'd bought it, I'd end up on the purchase success page, which tells the adverts not to display. So we don't want to display an advert to someone that's already bought the item, right? 
So I've been on the page, I haven't bought it. Those ads are going to be shown to me on lots of different websites that I go to. And this is what's called remarketing. Now here's the really cool thing about remarketing. Apart from the fact that you can set an off tag so you can stop it from being shown, remarketing doesn't cost you anything until you click on the advert, depending on how it is set up on, and on which platform you're using. But typically, certainly with Google, remarketing doesn't cost you anything until someone clicks on the advert. So let's put this, let's take this away from Star Wars and let's put this back in terms that you could use. Someone comes onto your website and let's say they go to look at one of your service pages. Let's just say VoIP for the sake of making it easy. So they come onto your VoIP page and they have a look at that and that sets a tag. And you now tell Google or Facebook or whichever platform you're using for remarketing, you, you or the automation behind it tells them, start showing adverts to that person. We can now make an assumption about someone who's visited your VoIP page. The assumption we can make is that they might not be 100% satisfied with their existing telecom solution. So that's what we put in the advert. The advert creative could say something as simple as, are you still looking for a new phone system? Are you unhappy with your existing phone system? Are you thinking of replacing your phone system with a new 2024 VoIP system? Now, don't pick those messages up and go and use them as adverts. Those are just example messages. So you understand the kind of advert we put in. The psychology of the buyer, and we have to guess this, don't we? But the psychology of the buyer is they've been onto a page and looked at something they we think they might be interested in buying. So those adverts now are that, that we're showing them are almost reminding them that they are interested. In the same way that the, uh, the Darth Vader adverts are reminding people that they were interested in buying a Darth Vader helmet. It's exactly the same thing. You're selling services, not products, but it's the same thing. And it's really cool. Now, remarketing, as I say, you don't pay until they click on it. And obviously, once they click on the advert, you don't just want to take them back to the same old page again. You want to take them through to a different page, which perhaps, and this is best practice for adverts, you would repeat the message that's been in the advert. So if the advert says, are you still fed up with your old clunky phone system? When they click on that, it takes them through to a new VoIP page and the headline at the top is exactly the same. And it says, are you still fed up with your old clunky phone system? And then there'd be a little bit about VoIP, but importantly, there'd be a call to action. The call to action might be, call us now, or it might be book a 15 minute appointment and here's my live calendar, something like that. The reason we want to really go heavy on the call to action is we know that someone who's clicking on the, the remarketing ad has already seen the page. Even if they just flick through it, we don't want to take them back to that same page. We want to take them through to something new. And that, in an essence, is remarketing. Now there are some small limitations, so with Google, I think you have to have something like at least 100 unique visitors visiting your site every month. I think you, you can Google that because the, 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 the range does change. Uh, but it's not a massive number, is it? And let's be honest, if you don't have 100 people coming to your site every month, then you, you could just do some pay-per-click or something just to, just to drive that traffic up. But Google is a great way to do that kind of remarketing. It can be done in Facebook as well. You should experiment on both of those uh, to see which is best for you. And you can do it around services. You can just do it around people who are just generally visiting your site. You can do it, I believe, and I'm not a technical expert at setting these things up. It's been years since I've physically, personally set one up, but in the back of my head, there's something telling me that you can do it that only triggers if someone visits your site twice, for example, which would be a smart thing. If someone's come back twice, that means they're interested, right? Well, they're either a competitor or a vendor, or they're potentially interested because they've come back again. 
that would be really cool. You could also do it off specific pages. It might be that you send out an email to someone and that is getting them to click through to a specific page. Could be a blog page, could be a services page, doesn't really matter. But you can trigger the remarketing adverts off specific pages as well as just general site visits. Do you know, I would love to know if you're doing remarketing, particularly actually if you're doing remarketing for your MSP and it's working really well. I would love to get you on this podcast talking about this, kind of like a case study. Just drop me an email, will you? Hello at paulgreensmspmarketing.com. Here's this week's clever idea. Public service announcement. If you haven't yet heard last week's episode, go and check out episode 218 right now because I talk about five typical mistakes made by MSPs on their website. And today, I have five more for you. I do love a series at the start of a year. So let's call this mistake number six. Mistake number six is moving too fast towards a sale. Now, what I mean by that is you assuming that someone who is on your website today is really, really, really interested in talking to you about taking over their managed services. And the reality is, no, they may or not be. In fact, if they've landed on your site because they've got an immediate and urgent problem, the server's down, the this computer is broken, the that won't print, then yes, they are interested in immediate help. But that's a kind of a break-fix scenario, isn't it? And I appreciate that that break-fix scenario can lead into managed services and many MSPs, that's their marketing strategy. They use pay-per-click to reach people at a crisis point and then they convert them into a proactive managed services client. Nothing wrong with that strategy at all. But for the vast majority of people who are visiting your website, they are in the research phase. They are unhappy with their incumbent MSP, but not yet able to take action. Maybe they're in a contract for another three months. Maybe they're scared of moving. Maybe they're just looking around. You know, Maybe they're thinking of doing a tire kicking exercise. So the vast majority of people who are coming onto your site are just kind of researching you. They're checking you out. They may not even have any intention to buy from you at all. They may just have clicked on a link on an email that you sent them or seen your profile in LinkedIn and just gone to check you out. So don't be too quick to more to work towards a sale. The best thing to do is always to have a very clear call to action. And that call to action, as I just mentioned uh, earlier on in the podcast, it's your live calendar embedded into your website. Ask them for a 15 minute video call. You see, the people who book that are typically, apart from the people trying to sell you stuff, uh, vendors, uh, the people who book into that, if they're pr- leads or if they're prospects, they're people who are ready to invest some time into talking about this stuff. And if they're nearly ready to invest some time into it, then they're a lot closer to the point of actually making a buying decision. Mistake number seven then is using old stale content on your website. So I often go and look at MSP's websites when I start working with someone new, I'll go and look at their site just out of interest. I'm always interested. Or if I'm talking to an MSP or I come across someone on LinkedIn, again, I'll just go and check out their site because that's what people do. And the vast majority, if they've got a blog, the, the last blog you know, was like May last year, <laughs> or the, the little copyright at the bottom says, you know, copyright 2023 or older. And, uh, the, or, or you know, they've, got a, they've pulled in a, a Twitter or an X, an X feed or, or something from Facebook. And again, their last post was like six months ago. And the problem with old 
stale content is it sends a message which is we are not active. We, you know, if it's almost like we can't be bothered to put content out there. We are not active people. Now, uh, in fact, this is this is so bad that the, um, just last, was it last week? Yeah, last week I went to order something from. This is out, outside of the channel. I went to order something from uh, a company I bought from two years ago. And I looked on their website and they hadn't done a blog for a year. And I looked on their Facebook and there hadn't been an update for a year. And so I live chatted them and just said, are you, are you active? Because I want to order one of these things. And uh, by the time I'd heard back from them 24 hours later saying, yeah, yeah, we're active, I'd already bought from a competitor. And I know that was a, that was a sort of a small, like $20 purchase. It wasn't much. But the point was, when I looked at their site, uh, and we're talking a small business with two, three people in it, I kind of got the feeling they weren't there anymore. And so they lost out on my repeat purchase, which is a bit of a shame. So if you have old stale content, if you know, if your blog hasn't had um, a lot of content added recently, just take, turn it off. Honestly, no blog is better than an old blog. It really is. By the way, if you are stuck in that problem, we have the answer for you. Our MSP Marketing Edge service just answers exactly this because we have, well, at the core of it, and this is just one of the things we do, at the core of it, we have a weekly marketing system which includes a blog and a video and social media content and a LinkedIn newsletter, and it's all integrated and works together, and it means that you never, ever, ever have old, stale content. Go to mspmarketingedge.com. Did I just give myself a very cheeky extra plug. I think I did. I won't do that again. Uh, number three then, or number eight, I should say, is not measuring the performance of your website. You know, people get their website done, they spend thousands of dollars on it, and then they ignore it for months and for years. And then they come back to it a few years down the line and go, oh, website's not very good. We should do it again. It's like a, it's like a habit, isn't it? Of every two, three years getting the website done because you're not happy with it. What about some performance issues? Put in Google Analytics at the very basics and don't obsess over your analytics, but just go and have a look. How much traffic are you getting on the website? If you're not driving traffic, proactively driving traffic, no one's seeing the website. Uh, go and have a look and see how many pages is the average person looking at. It's probably no more than two and a half, maybe three. If you're doing anything more than that, you're doing well. Don't obsess over it. It's just an interesting thing to know. I'll tell you what you can obsess over is what do people actually do when they're in the website? Uh, you'll get a better way of looking at that if you install something called Lucky Orange or Hotjar. And what this does is this videos people using your site. It doesn't physically video their face, of course. It just videos their session and anonymizes it. So any information they enter is completely anonymized. But you can sit and watch videos of people actually using your website. And it is terrifying. It's terrifying because people don't do what you think they're going to do. They don't scroll as far down. They don't click as much. They don't go onto as many pages. And I have learned more about web design and UX usability or user experience from watching videos of ordinary people using the website than I have from anything else. So mistake number nine then is kind of related to that. And it's about you trying out new things. So mis the mistake is not split testing. There are loads and loads of different ways to split test. You can go and use a service called Optimizely. Just go and Google that. Uh, Google Optimize is a free one where you can do it. So you take a page, and in both of these services, you create an exact copy of that page without you having to do it in your website. They create the copy for you. And then you change one element of that. So for example, the, the most common element to change is the headline and or the image. But you just do one thing at a time. Because split testing is where you test one thing at a time. So you've got 
page A and you've got page B. They are identical, except page B has a different headline to page A. And what Google Optimizer or Optimizely will do is they will split the traffic between those two pages until they figure out which of those pages performs better. Now, this is really easy for high traffic sites and it's kind of really easy for e-commerce sites because the split test result is down to what sells more of this item. In fact, if you've ever wondered why Amazon pages look the way they do, it's because of split testing. In fact, Amazon and all the big tech giants take it a whole step further. They do what's called multivariate testing. So they will have, because you think how much traffic Amazon gets to its pages, right? They will have tested many, many times over, over millions of visits the difference in headlines, images, you know, social proof, all these different things. And that's why Amazon pages are the way they are, through testing. So you can do this at a much lower level, just testing different elements. The problem you have is that you don't have a lot of traffic, so your split tests will take some time. We're talking like months. And also, it's very hard for you to measure an outcome. You're not selling a widget, are you? Your outcome is someone booking an appointment. But you can at least measure, for example, engagement. What keeps more people on the page? What gets them to go further down? what gets them to request a report or go into a data capture or something like that. Even if you only do two or three split tests a year, you might as well do them, right? Because they can just sit there in the back end. And, you know, I could come up with some great headline suggestions for you. You could come up with some. But what would be better is to pick the headline that real people who visit your website are most inspired by. And the same with the image and other elements on the page. And then we come on to the 10th mistake, which is not obsessing over the speed of your website. So speed is an important thing. And I say this knowing that our website is a bit too slow. Uh, as our traffic has grown, our site has slowed down. We've got a lot in the background. So I know, as I'm saying this, I know we need to go and do some work on this. No site is ever perfect. But it's been a number of years since Google decided that the speed of your site is a ranking factor. It's trying to speed the whole world's websites up. And if you go on to, on your phone or on a, on a laptop, you go onto someone's site and it's like a one, two, three second wait. That's too long. And Google knows that it's a three second wait. So there are all sorts of tools out there. Just Google them to go and give you a, a snapshot of how fast your website is and whether or not you need to do something. If your website is too slow, do something about it. And again, I'm not a technical expert at speeding up a site, but I know it's things like good, super fast hosting. It's about tidying up a lot of stuff in the back end. It's often about requests. You can have all sorts of cool tools. In fact, actually, ha, here's, a, here's an irony thing. Those tools I mentioned earlier, Lucky Orange and Hotjar, they are notorious for slowing down sites, right? So you put them in your site for like a month to test it, to watch what people are doing, and then you get rid of them. And the reason they're so slow is because they're sending so much information off to their servers and making so many requests of your servers, and that just slows everything down. I've always wanted to do that effect in the podcast. Anyway, you should be obsessed over your site speed. It's one of those very small things that can actually make a big impact on your performance. There you have it. From this week and from last, 10 common mistakes you're most likely to make on your website. Paul's, Paul's blatant plug. Seeing as I was really naughty and gave myself a blatant plug in the last bit, let me make this blatant plug more about value for you. We have a YouTube channel and we are doing so much cool stuff right now. We've moved away from just sort of doing the short educational videos, you know, here's how to do some marketing stuff, here's that. We have really thrown ourselves into entertainment or edutainment and trying to teach you and show you how to improve your MSP's marketing 
with some fun videos, right? They are so much fun to film. I have a wonderful team, Simon and James, who edit this podcast as well. And uh, we are just enjoying ourselves making YouTube videos that we would want to watch. And hopefully you want to watch them as well. So go and check them out. They're all at youtube.com slash MSP marketing. The big, big, big interview. I'm Chad Lauterbach, founder and CEO of Be Structured Technology Group, a managed service provider and managed security service provider in Los Angeles, California. And thank you for joining me on the podcast, Chad. There is nothing better than getting successful MSPs to talk about their journey, what they've done, the mistakes they've made, what's working right now, and what they're struggling with, because that is such an inspiration for the thousands of MSPs who listen to this podcast. So um, give us, before we talk about your backstory, let's just get some context of you now. So tell us a little bit about your business. How many technicians do you have? Uh, you said you're in LA, so so what kind of clients do you serve? Just, just give us that, that context to get us started? Sure, yeah, we're uh, 25 people, not including, we do have a few overseas people uh, on the knock, um, and two of them are dedicated to us. Uh, but we generally, we really make a big focus, and I feel like it's one of our winning characteristics that we're an LA-based team. So our overseas technicians are working on other internal projects or projects for customers in a tangential way. They're not interacting with the customers directly, which we feels we feel like is important for our audience. You know, uh, the L.A. market can be a little bit finicky and I think they want they like seeing, you know, they like being able to talk to somebody on the phone. And then if they come out to the site, they see the same person they talk to on the phone. Right. Mm. And if you're outsourcing everything, you're not going to have that. So. We're based in downtown LA, fifth and grand. Uh, we service all of LA County, a little bit of Orange County, although, you know, you will find, you know, the counties definitely have their own service providers. So, you know, San Bernardino County and Ventura County, San Diego County, Orange County, they all tend to have kind of their own set of MSPs and people kind of like to work within that realm. So we mostly are focused on Los Angeles County. And uh, the, the variety of clients varies. We definitely are B2B focused. So don't really do business to consumer. It's just kind of, that's a totally different wheelhouse. You know, oftentimes weekends, late hours, some, you know, different things, uh, hotels and things like that can be, you know, 2 a.m., 24 seven, et cetera. So, you know, we're focused on B2B that can be wealth management, can be attorneys, can be tax accountants, can be food manufacturing. We actually have quite a few of those. Um, there's actually a lot of food manufacturing that happens here. As you might imagine, with the port of Long Beach and Los Angeles being the largest ports in the United States on the West Coast, a uh, lot of logistics. So we have quite a few logistics clients um, moving freight throughout the country. So those are probably our biggest verticals, although we don't have a vertical focus. We, we're a pretty horizontal organization. There's a lot of unique uh, businesses in Los Angeles because of its position, you know, with LAX, the ports, uh, the railroads. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff happening here coming in from China, getting assembled, yeah. moving around, et cetera. So we find all sorts of interesting businesses, custom light manufacturers, bulk light manufacturers. I mean, you name it. You name the business you've never thought of, and it's probably here in Los Angeles. So, yes, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because LA is, has got to be surely after New York. LA has to be the you know the, what, the second most famous city in the US, and everyone when they think of LA, I mean, you, you're talking about all those different businesses there, but 
we all just think Hollywood, you know? We think entertainment. Yeah. LA is the home of entertainment. And I, I will admit to something sad, which I don't think I've confessed to on the podcast before, but last time we were in LA, um, I went out of my way to visit the filming location of one of my favourite films from when I was a teenager. You've seen Terminator 2, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, so you know, you know the scene where the 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 lorry crashes uh, a sort of down off a bridge and into what you guys call the LA River, but which is <laughs> just basically a massive flood thing. We yep. went to that location, the exact point where that happened, because they they did that crash for real. This was pre CG, um, oh, and so yeah, cool. that to me that's that's Hollywood, that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a fun place to be. So let's let's get in let's get in the time machine. Let's go in the DeLorean. Never mind the Terminator. Oh, I suppose we could get in the Terminator time machine, couldn't we? Go back to to back in the day and tell us tell us how you got into this so what got you into IT in the first place and what made you start up your your first uh, IT business whether it was a you know a, a break fix or, or indeed an MSP business yeah so um, you know similar to the famous stories about kind of being in the right place in the right time with like Bill Gates Steve Jobs those kind of guys having access to the right technology at the right time and yeah sure it was skill and persistence but there's an aspect of luck right if they were born in a different place or different time they might not be who they were right I think kind of the same same for me not suggesting I'm anywhere near as famous or wealthy as Bill Gates or Steve Jobs but um, I grew up with the internet in its infancy and really personal computing in its infancy, right? Like, you know, I was very young when the Mac Classic came out, when the IBM XT came out, and um, I found those things to be really fascinating. Uh, and really, like, you know, everything was kind of going digital. Things were moving from cassette to CD, right? And I just got interested in all of it, right? I would, like, disassemble Discman and all the kind of goofy things that kids do, right? We're just like, how does this work? Like, we're getting in there and what does that do? And I did the same thing with computers, right? Is like when if, if I could pick up an old Commodore pet computer or whatever, I'd, like, pull it apart and figure out how it worked and figure out what was going on inside. Um, Learned a little basic programming, things like that. Um, had a lot of interests like anybody. You know, I liked uh, I liked to run. I liked photography. I liked, um, you know, a bunch of different hobbies, uh, music. But, like, uh, for me, you know, I really saw IT as a f the future, you know. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, right? You know, I just saw... I saw technology, computers, and IT as being just a critical piece of what was happening in the future. So um, when I was really, really young, I had like a small web development company and a small computer building company. Uh, but I decided it was important to like go get a regular job and like learn the ropes. So I had a job. I built an IT department from the ground up for a logistics company here in LA and then a, a healthcare company in Scottsdale, Arizona. I actually grew up in Scottsdale, so that it was where I had the connection there and then uh, decided that I really wanted to be in L.A. So I moved back to L.A. and started my own thing in 2007 in my one bedroom apartment here. You know, it's grown from then until now um, to a 25 person operation in downtown L.A. And we continue to grow. I mean, we're getting we're getting honestly more prospects than we can almost handle. I mean, it's we are we're very picky about who we take on be, given the number of prospects there are out there looking for services so yeah 
Yeah. So when when someone when anyone says, uh, especially an MSP says, I'm, I'm attracting more prospects than I can possibly take on. I know that's that's possibly the headline of this entire podcast, right? Because <laughs> that's not something you hear very often from from the average MSP. So it leads on to the question: what, what do you guys do? And I don't want you to give away any any kind of secret sauce or anything that your many many competitors, because I know there are, there are, I think there are more MSPs in the the LA County area than any any other sort of couple of square miles of of, of the planet. But without giving anything secret away. Just tell us some stuff you've tried that didn't work and tell us what is working for you right now. I mean, I think uh, what didn't work um, was everything that seemed easy. So um, and I think this probably again, this probably plays into um, the L.A. market being so competitive. You know, I kind of joked with you earlier, like what might work in St. Louis or Minneapolis, you know, it just doesn't work here. Cold, you know, hiring a cold calling firm, hiring an outbound mailing firm, you know, blanketing buildings, canvassing buildings, just knocking on doors. You know, people won't even let you in like they don't want to talk to you. Um, People don't pick up the phone. They just hang up the phone. They block your emails, et cetera, et cetera. So email drip marketing is really hard, you know, and uh, we really wanted to outsource stuff, right? Like, you know, especially when we were small, like the idea of having somebody um, right now, me and one of my colleagues splits the marketing duties here, but it, it probably equates nearly to a full time person now. And like that wasn't really feasible when we were really small. Right. So we were trying really hard to outsource. Like, what can we get for two, three, four thousand bucks a month? You know, and we tried all those things that I mentioned and, and probably more uh, chambers of commerce, you name the thing. And it just didn't work for us. Like nothing brought the kind of nothing brought return on investment. I shouldn't say it's not that we landed zero clients from any of those initiatives, but nothing returned on the investment we put into those things. So I felt like we were finally left with two options, and that was search engine marketing or search engine optimization. And Mm. the keywords, as you might imagine, for L.A. for search engine marketing are insanely expensive. I mean, the really, really good ones can be 40 bucks a click. I mean, it's crazy. So I decided uh, to go the search engine optimization route. And this is mostly based on my own behavior. I tend not to click on the ads. I tend to look for the organic results, ads being a reinforcement. So like if I see somebody in the ads and in the organic search, that's interesting to me. But I tend to. To, if somebody's only in the ads and not in the organic, I know they're just buying it. And to me, it's more mm. interesting to see the organic result. I feel like Google's going to deliver a better organic result than a paid result. Um, so it was years of really hard work. Uh, blogging, reaching out to get press releases on stuff, um, reaching out to get on podcasts like this one, uh, really working on our LinkedIn profiles, uh, really working on the website, completely redoing the website with the keyword focus. Uh, Twice now we've redone it. Uh, We've now gotten into video. Uh, So it's really all been search engine optimization focused and it's, it's not a one-stop shop either, and it's not a game you play for just a small period of time. We uh, Google's constantly updating their algorithms, and we're constantly having to change what we do. So we're monitoring, I don't know, something like 400 keywords that we want to rank for. Um, the estimated value of the traffic that we bring in is about $8,000 a month. So it would be the equivalent of spending $8,000 a month on Google search engine marketing 
But now we don't have to spend anything for it, right? But I mean, time and energy, but not direct cost. But we found that to be highly successful. Uh, anytime we bring on a new business line, we just build a brand new web page content laden with that keyword that we want to focus on. And because our domain authority and domain ranking and other, you know, Google sources are good, uh, we tend to rank for more obscure keywords very quickly. So, I mean, that's how we've done it. So, yeah, that's really interesting. So it's really interesting to talk to someone who's doing very well at SEO, search engine optimization in a very busy marketplace, because obviously the more people are competing for the same amount of, you know, the, the amount of traffic doesn't change. Uh, so the more people competing for it, the, the harder it becomes. And as you say, with what you what you call search engine marketing, which we would also know as, as pay-per-click, where you sure. pay, is the Google ads you pay when someone clicks on it. Um, that's what drives the prices up, is huge competition. But yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised you, you've had to do an insane amount of work. Um, let me plug an episode of the podcast that appeared about a year ago. Uh, at the beginning of 2023, it was with uh, Marcus Sheridan, the author of They Ask, You Answer. And a lot of what Chad has just been talking about there is covered off in that book, They Ask, You Answer. So it's, it's very much a content marketing driven approach. Now, Marcus didn't write that book about SEO, about search engine optimization, but it could be about it. And in fact, you do see a lot of organic traffic coming in from optimizing your pages and writing good content that, that answers questions that normal people have. So if you haven't checked that out, it was the first, from memory, it was the first show of 2023. It was a special with Marcus Sheridan, the author of They Ask, You Answer. Let's talk about not giving up. So you mentioned there that you tried lots and lots of different things. And you then mentioned that you, you did SEO and, and you had an SEO approach. But you said again, that it took a long time to see results. So what I, a lot of a, a, an enormous number of people and not just MSPs, but all business owners I know, if they don't see a return within a couple of months, they stop. Uh, which is so frustrating, particularly within MSP marketing, because as you you and I both know very well, Chad, it takes a long time. People buy when they're ready to buy. It can be an exceedingly long sales cycle. Um, you're attracting lots of prospects now because you're getting in front of people at the point they're searching, and they're searching because they're ready to switch, right? So it's it's that that kind of long tail of SEO is paying off for you. But back when it wasn't working, when you were putting in an insane amount of work creating content and optimizing the content, and you weren't get, yet getting the traffic. What kept you going? What kept you focused on, on, on knowing that this would work for you one day? Um, that is a really good question. I think um, for me, I feel like I tried everything else. You know, we'd done lunch and learns, canvases, et cetera. And, you know, again, you know, I, I hear I go to these conferences and I hear people like, oh, my gosh, we do these lunch and learns. We get five prospects every lunch and learn we do. You know what? In L.A., Nobody wants to drive 30 minutes for lunch. They don't care how nice it is or how free it is. Like that is just and 30 minutes is being generous, right? Like 45 minutes to an hour each way plus a $45 valet. Am I going to comp that? You know, am I going to pay for that? It's just like L.A. is just not that kind of city, right? It's not like New York where you walk five blocks to a lunch and learn. It's just not. So I really, really dug into um I think buyer personas are really important and I really dug into our buyer personas. Our buyer persona is one of two people generally. I mean, of course, there's an exception to every rule, but generally speaking, it's one of two people. Either it's a C-suite member, so CEO, CFO, COO usually, 
um, that is searching specifically for an IT service provider or MSP, right? They either have one and don't like them or they want to outsource their in-house IT department. They know exactly what they want and they're looking. And when they see that we've won awards and you know we have a website that ranks for the keywords they're looking for, uh, they give us a chance. And usually they're getting three bids. Um, and we don't win all of them, but we win a lot of them. And uh, secondarily, and, th and this will tie back to, I think, I think the, where we were going. Secondarily, it's the assistance of those people. So executive assistance of those people where the COO says, hey, get me five quotes for MSP services, right? And they're just getting quotes, right? Which is fine. Uh, ideally, we get to the gatekeeper directly, but if we can't, you know, we provide the quote and we still win those sometimes or at least get in for the meeting with the C-suite. Um, so that being said, you know, I really, I've lived in LA since 2000, right? So I have a sense of the culture here and I just realized like people, I mean, I look at our web traffic and it's, it's unusual, right? Like 93% of our traffic comes from desktop web browsers, not mobile. Right? And, you know, it's like, I know what's going on, right? I, I have a sense of what is happening. It's people don't want my phone calls. They don't want my emails. They don't want lunch and learns. They don't want anything. When they have a felt need, they go online and they Google. That is what they do. Mm -hmm. And I can see it in the rankings. You know, 65% of our traffic is organic search now. You know, I can see that that's what people are doing. So given that buyer persona, I just believed, like, I'm like, I tried all this other stuff. None of it worked. And I just believed, like, I think search engine marketing could have worked as well or could have worked in conjunction. At the time, it was a bit out of our budget. But um, I, I just believed. And even though I was focused on the hard keywords, like IT support Los Angeles and things like that, uh, at the same time, and this is where I think I got an maybe not a full ROI, but saw success quickly, which made me think I was on the right track, is I focused on the fringe keywords, right? So I made a bunch of blogs and landing pages for like Gmail to Office 365 migrations and the inverse, Office 365 to Gmail migrations. And guess what? We started to get some of those and then those became MSP clients. Yeah. And those were much, they were still somewhat challenging, but they were much easier keywords to get than IT support Los Angeles. So I kept focusing on the fringe words while I was focused on the big ones. Uh, and eventually we did get the big ones. I can't tell you exactly where we rank right this second because it does move around, but we're on page one for like IT support Los Angeles, IT services Los Angeles, computer server support, I mean, all those kind of really difficult keywords, we've made it to page one and we've been there for the past couple of years. And, but that's because we rank for like 300 other words that are more fringy. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Final question, Chad. Yeah. Um, we do have a little chat before the interview and um, you were telling me that you sell some services that a lot of MSPs don't sell and, uh, and and I was quite surprised by the list. So just give us an insight into some of the other things that you sell, which as you say, are not a traditional MSP offering and tell us how you got into those things. Uh, I think for all companies, uh, you know, having a unique a unique uh, value proposition or unique selling proposition is really important, right? So for us, we were like, okay, what is that? And for me, it's two things. Number one is uh, we are almost entirely an LA-based staff, and everyone that one of our customers would talk to is based in Los Angeles. So any back office staff we have that's overseas, uh, our customers would never talk to them, and. Uh, to me, that's a value proposition. Like when we tell that to clients and they're like, well, your bid's higher. And we're like, well, yeah, like 
what do you think we have to pay? Like at, at we we literally will say, ask your competing bids if they have in-house Los Angeles based people. And when they answer no, it, it gives the business owner pause, right? They have to think, OK, do I want to spend less and be talking to Malaysia, the Philippines, India, whatever? Or do I want to spend a little more with be structured and know that if I'm talking to Ryan and then I need somebody to come out, Ryan's going to drive his car out to my site. Like that's a different thing, right? We, we literally have a neighbor just catty corner across the street and they outsource everything. They have two guys that run around Los Angeles. Everybody else is overseas. Is that bad? No, they can offer cheaper prices than us, right? And potentially better margins. But like uh, that was a, a unique uh, selling proposition for us that I think was really important. Number two is we really tried to be as much to our clients as possible. So, uh, you know, that means uh, you know, what the biggest growth area for us right now is cybersecurity. That, that's just the no brainer. Everybody's calling and asking about cybersecurity. We're pushing that really hard. We're getting a lot of business for cyber and we're getting a lot of upsells with our existing clients for cyber. But some of the services that have been really interesting that have that have allowed us to cross sell MSP services into other markets is a lot of MSPs don't want to do office moves. They don't want to do cabling. They don't want to do surveillance. They don't want to do access control, et cetera. And so we've landed deals because like, hey, our existing MSP said they won't move our office or do our cabling. Will you? And we're like, sure, no problem. And then they love us. And then they're like, you know, we don't like our MSP that much anyway. What's your what do you cost? Right. And then it's like, oh, you guys are 15 percent more and we can go right back to like, yeah, well, everybody's based in L.A. And you just saw like eight of our staff people. So like, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> right. It becomes less about the price. And, and, you know, we're justifying the price, not by not by like, oh, we're making so much more money. We're saying like, look, the price is higher because we have L.A. based people with medical, dental, vision, 401k, blah, 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 all the stuff like, of course, our rates are going to have to be higher. And owners understand that and they just have to make a decision of who they want to talk to. And, you know, we win. We win a lot of deals because of that, because people like that we're not outsourcing in that in the traditional yeah. way that you might think of. So. Uh, so, yeah, we really try to be everything that we can to our clients and we really try to keep an, as strong of an L.A. presence as we can, uh, which I think are our two unique factors uh, as an MSP. Yeah, I love that. And that's actually known as a Trojan horse in, in marketing terms, where, of course, you're you're selling a service. It's not really your core service, but it, but it's easier for you to sell that. Um, I mean, it, for a pure MSP, backups, for, you know, just, just sure. focusing on selling backups and talking to people about backups. And you use that to, to get them in and then ask the question and say, hey, we noticed that you guys are, are using Windows 7 machines. You know, we noticed that you're doing this. We noticed you're doing that. And it's, it's, it's a way of starting a relationship with someone. I think that's a, that's a really smart thing to do. Exactly. Um, Chad, thank you so much for your for your time. You've been so generous uh, with telling us what you do to grow your business. Uh, and I do love getting, nothing is more exciting for me than getting actual MSP owners on to talk about what they've done uh, and how, you know, how they're growing their business. For people who are listening, watching us right now that want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, LinkedIn is great. You can find me on LinkedIn. My username is Chad L2. So I think that's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Chad L2. Um, I'm Chad L2 everywhere, actually. So to Twitter, um, you're welcome to email me. That's Chad L at bstg.co. Uh, or you could even fill out the sales form. I, I see all of them. So if you just were like, hey, I want to talk to Chad. I'm an MSP owner. You can reach me that way as well. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to reach me. Uh, 
X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, chat out to again. Um, and Be Structured, of course, has its own landing pages as well. So Zoe or me will see those and, and the, she'll pass them along. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hi, I'm Jake Gregorich, and the book I recommend is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. The book goes into his Navy SEAL experiences and then ties them to real life business experiences. They're about taking ownership as a leader and pushing down decision making to the front lines to empower people to make those decisions without having to ask for permission and impact the end customers on creating a great experience. Coming up next week. I'm Trevor W. Goodchild, Facebook ad policy specialist. I've worked at Facebook in ads, tech, and project management. And on Paul's podcast, I'm going to tell you about the one thing that you do not want to do to get your business shut down on Facebook. And you really are going to love that interview next week. I've also got for you some myths. In fact, five myths about MSP marketing, things that might be holding you back. Let's do some myth busting next week and get you moving forward. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP. MSP Marketing Podcast.